I'm going to get in the Word. So if you have, like that cool graphic that Greg Key made for me? Look at that. Go Greg Key. Kevin Webb can't make anything like that. Um, all right. So John, uh, John chapter 8, the Gospel of John chapter 8. This, um, been here before. <laughs> uh, we're another week in our study through the I Am statements of Jesus as part of our series this semester um, we're calling God with us and for us. God with us and for us. And the, we'll be looking at the seven I am statements in John in the weeks leading up to spring break. And then uh, after spring break till the end of the semester. In the, that are basically the weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter and then through the Easter season. Um, We'll look at the seven statements made by Jesus as he hung on the cross. Um, if you put all the, they're not all found in one gospel, but you put all the, uh, all the, all four gospel accounts together and look at them, and th- you, you find seven different statements that he made. But right now we're thinking through the I am statements in John. We already looked at the significance of um, simply taking the name I am for himself. Um, how Jesus simply referred to himself a number of times in John, just those two words, I am. Uh, and, and the significance of that, because that's the name by which God revealed himself to, in the Old Testament, revealed himself to Moses, particularly in the burning bush, in Exodus chapter 3. Go tell Pharaoh to let that, he should let my people go. Moses says, who am I to say sent me? And God, what is your name, God? And he says, I am who I am. Tell him I am sent you. And Jesus, again and again, especially in John's gospel, just simply takes that name for himself. And, and, uh, and, and that's significant. And for example, I'm not going to go through all the examples, but remember in John 6, he's, he comes walking on water and his disciples are, they see him coming, it's night, somebody's walking on water toward them, and they're afraid, and Jesus tells them as he gets near, don't be afraid, I am. He doesn't, he's not saying, don't be afraid, it's just me, because that wouldn't explain, well, okay, then why are you walking on water, you know, I am, I mean, they, they would know, he's saying, I made this water. And I, I, I am the creator, I am the creator God, and, and hence that explains why he's walking, explains the miracle. John 18, they come to arrest Jesus, and they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus looks at them and says, I am. They fall to the ground. Um, Roman soldiers don't, didn't have a habit of doing that, falling down to the ground before lowly Jews, you know? Well, they didn't have a choice in that matter that time, though. They fell to the ground when he said, I am, anticipating the day when every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and swear that Jesus is Lord of all. But we've been stressing in this series through, through the, t- Jesus taking the name for himself and, 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 and all of that, that the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God in human flesh, but not merely God above us, not merely 
God beyond us or God apart from us, but God with us. Um, and and we, see, we see that truth, God, that He's not just God, but He's God with us. It's a sweet phrase. We see that in, in the other I Am statements in, in the Gospel of John. Last week we thought about the first of those in John 6 where he said, I'm the bread of life. Um, and we considered the Old Testament background to that phrase. Uh, and that's so, that's so rich, of that, that image that he gave to him, of himself. And we talked about how they're looking at, at the Old Testament background to him calling himself the bread of life, especially in, in that chapter that he was claiming to be. God, the bread that comes down from heaven. But also when he came, he didn't just come to save us. Um, he did come to save us from death, just like that manna in the wilderness saved them from de- physical death. But he came also not just to save us, but to satisfy us. That, that was, that's beautiful. Because we talked about how interesting it is that, that the, first, the first symbol, the first image that Jesus gives to us in John of himself in, in that kind of way, is bread. <laughs> not a hammer, not a sword. Um, bread. Life-giving, satisfying bread. Whoever eats this bread will never be hungry again, he says. You know, and that's what we said in John 6. Well, tonight we're back in John 8, um, that we've already looked at a couple of times, actually. Um, but both of those times that we looked in John 8 before, we were in the latter half of the chapter it's a long chapter but today we're going to give our attention to an earlier part of the chapter um where where we find jesus making the second i am statement he'll actually make it in chapter eight and again one more time in chapter nine and this time he reveals himself um saying i am the light of the world that's a beautiful phrase, and, and one that it's also just like, just like the bread of life was rich in the Old Testament. This one's rich in the Old Testament. And for that reason, I want to approach it like I did last week. Uh, we just looked at it in two ways last week, the bread of life. We're going to do the same with the light of the world tonight. We'll think first about the background of uh, that phrase in the Old Testament, and then we'll continue to flesh out the significance of it for us. But we need to, let's read the passage passages actually before we do anything else we're going to read john 8 verses 12 through 20 and then we're going to skip over to chapter 9 and read verses 1 through 7 so john 8 12 through 20 and 9 1 through 7 all right we begin john 8 12 jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I'll skip over to chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. Lord, this is your, this is your word. It's not the word of John. This is the word of you through John. It has John's uh, voice, but it is, it is your voice through John. And that's the beautiful mystery of Scripture, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and um, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this is your word. And, uh, and, and from it we learn that it is authoritative. It, it, it is clear, even the... Harder passages that we come across can be we can be helped in understanding them by some other place in Scripture where the same thing is talked about, but in a much easier way to understand. It's clear, and your word is uh, necessary. For apart from your revealing yourself to us, we have no way of knowing you. And uh, it, it's it's good. Your word is good to us. Um, and we, uh, we bow ourselves to it. We ask that you would give us the help that we need to understand it and give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we see here. Give us uh, wills to obey. Um, yeah, Overcome any resistance we might have to it. And, and we, de we desire to obey. We desire to know you, and we desire to worship you. So show yourself to us in your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a closer look at, the, at this text um, and try first to see some of the background to what Jesus is saying here. It says it twice. He says in chapter 8, verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but I have the light of life. And then chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. The anticipation for this statement from Jesus, I'm the light of the world. The anticipation for that statement has kind of been building the whole gospel. Um, I mean, in the, in the very opening verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In, that, in those very opening words, in chapter 1, verse 4, we read, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, there's that image. When we... When we talked about this, these opening verses uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the deity of Christ, we kind of stopped with verse 3. Verse 3 says, um, 
that all things were made through him. And apart from him was not anything made that was made. We're talking about how to maybe stump your Jehovah's Witness friends. Like, because that says, verse 3 says, everything that, w- that is created, he created it. And if they think he was created, that means he made himself, which is illogical foolishness. So, we spent our time there. The next verse says this. We didn't really talk about this one. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And, uh, and, and, and even there is a claim to the deity of Christ. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, that, that combination of life and light, true of Jesus. The Old Testament uses that same imagery to say it's true of God. For example, Psalm 36, 9 says of God, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That's true of God. Life and light emanate from God. And John 1, 4 says emanates from Christ. But back to John 1. So a few, few verses later in John 1, John said, the true light, said this of Jesus, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God. Jesus is the true light coming into the world. And then you, you keep reading. You come to John 3, the famous, the most well-known passage in chapter in John. Uh, Jesus' uh, discussion with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And right after the most famous verse in John 3, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, a few verses right after that, Jesus says this in John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. So there, in sort of coded language, Jesus is referring to himself as the light that has come into the world. And even more than that, the light that everyone will have to respond to. And he, he, since he says his coming into the world as the light, this is the judgment. That's, that's, what he's, that's how he introduced the phrase. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. What do you do with him? Do you love the light? Do you come to the light? Or do you love darkness instead? Already the sheep and the goats are, are, are being sorted out. Um, as, as Matthew would put it. So this, this theme, though, about Jesus being the light, I mean, that's been going on since chapter 1, twice in chapter 1, then again in chapter 3. And if you were reading this whole gospel like that, if you didn't just parachute in in chapter 8, but you've been reading, you know, all the way since chapter 1, you come to chapter 8, uh, you might get to chapter 8, you know, like in one sitting at one time, you get to chapter 8 and you come to verse 12 and you read Jesus say, I'm the light of the world. And it just washes over you. It's just sort of unfazed by it. You've heard this before. I heard it in chapter 1. I heard it in chapter 1 again. I heard it in chapter 3. Light, 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 light. 
chapter 8, and you're unfazed by it. you sort of grown accustomed to hearing this light, light darkness, light darkness kind of talk. And if it ever had a shock factor to it, it's gone by chapter 8. But when Jesus stood up in John 8 and said that, I am the light of the world, it would have been like a bomb going off in Jerusalem. I mean, not even a little bit kidding. Like, why? Why would, when Jesus stood up here and said, this time, like, John saying it in chapter 1 is one thing. Jesus talking about light and darkness to Nicodemus is another. Jesus here, it's a bomb going off. Why? Because where... Where uh, does it say Jesus was when he said this? Did you catch it in the, look in verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. He's in the treasury in the temple in Jerusalem. I'll come back to that in just a second. But first, do you notice in that verse why I said, when he said I'm the light of the world, it would have been like a bomb going off because if it wasn't, <laughs> isn't it odd? Isn't that an odd way to end the verse if it's not like a bomb going off? Oh, by the way, nobody arrested him. Like, okay, great, nobody arrested him. But no... He says that because what Jesus said when he stood up could have easily gotten him arrested. And I need to point out to you that he, his hour hadn't yet, they, you know, he actually didn't get arrested. He said that, amazingly. Because the, the same authorities that by the end of this chapter are trying to stone him to death, they could have arrested him for what he said. Well, I want to see why. Why could they have arrested him for what he said? What is so bomb-like about saying I'm the light of the world in the temple on that day. Well, first, it's another I am statement. And we've already seen how Jesus is taking that divine name for himself over and over and over again. But for another, he's standing in the temple, in the treasury of the temple, in the courtyard of the temple, um, when he said this. But what time of year is he saying this? See, remember last week when Jesus, we talked about Jesus being the bread of life and I asked you what time of year was it and it was Passover and that's a big honking deal? Like, well, here's something similar. Like, what time of year is it when Jesus is saying this thing in the temple? Well, we didn't read it actually, but flip back to chapter 7 and look, and this is in the same, all the same conversation in John so in chapter 7, verse 2, verse 2 says, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Or some say the feast of tabernacles. It goes by the same thing. Feast of booths, feast of tabernacles, same feast. <laughs> Which is enormously significant that Jesus it's significant for this reason. That, that Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. That he's saying it in Jerusalem. That he's saying it in the temple. 
that he sang it in the temple during the Feast of Booths, during the Feast of Tabernacles. It's significant, enormously so, not just because all the Jews would have been there, you know, like the Feast of Booths is when like all the Jews head to Jerusalem. They don't all live in Jerusalem, but important Jewish stuff happens in the temple during the Passover and then the Feast of Tabernacles and then Pentecost and all these different feasts and festivals they have throughout the year. So remember like at Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit falls and they're speaking in tongues and it says it clearly says that Jews from all over the world were there and they heard them talking in their own language. It was not just like that at Pentecost. It was like that at every festival. And so it's significant that Jesus is standing up in the Feast of Tabernacles just because maximum impact of hearing Him. They're all there, right? But that is not even close to being the only reason that's significant. It's, it is most significant because of what the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, what it was remembering and celebrating. Which was what? It was remembering, just like, kind of just like the Passover was. It too, the Feast of Tabernacles, was also remembering and celebrating how God miraculously provided for the people in the wilderness after He had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. So Passover is celebrating the fact that, they came, that God brought them out of slavery but he brought them, they, they went into the wilderness, so the Feast of Tabernacles is, is celebrating how God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. And it remembered specifically two things about that, which were those two things that they were remembering and celebrating during the Feast of Tabernacles, those two things were pictured in the ceremonies that, they, that took place during that, uh, during that week. It was a week-long feast, festival. The first thing it remembered and celebrated was God providing water from the rock. When, you remember that? You remember in, in Exodus um, 17? Exodus chapter 17, when Moses strikes the rock with his staff and water comes forth? That's not a, a high moment, by the way, in Israel's history. <laughs> that was God being merciful to them. Um, in fact, Psalm 95 says, don't be like those people. <laughs> and, you know, uh, by the way, wh 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 where did we find that this was the Feast of Booths? In chapter 7? It's, and the first thing that they're remembering in Feast of Booths is, is the water from the rock. Is it not interesting that in this same chapter, in John 7, Jesus stands and says, in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of what that water flowing from the rock was pointing forward to. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, Paul says, the rock was Christ. I mean, the, Moses in anger striking the rock was like Christ being crucified for us and blessings flowing out anyway. And he's saying too that the, 
the water that flowed from that rock was a picture of what, was, what he was coming to give, but not water that would satisfy us for a little while, but water that would satisfy and save you forever. That was, that was pictured on, on the first day of the Feast of Booze, and, and it, they, this said it was on the last day. It, it, they did that on the, they celebrated that on the first day and did it every day. What, the, what would happen on the first day and every day thereafter to celebrate the water coming from the rock the priests would all walk in procession down to the pool of Siloam, which is mentioned in chapter 9, right? When Jesus heals the blind man, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. They would all walk in procession with golden pitchers and scoop water in the golden pitchers out of the pool of Siloam. They would march back and they would uh, pour the water on the altar of sacrifice. And Jesus stands up in the middle of all that and he says, I'm the water that will satisfy you. Like I, when, when I'm sacrificed for your sins, you're pouring this water on this altar of sacrifice. When I'm sacrificed for your sins and you come to me for life and for forgiveness, the water I give will satisfy you. I'm the water. But the second thing, that's the first thing that Feast of Booze remembered. Water from the rock. The second thing that the, the Feast of Tem, uh, Tabernacles or booze remembered and celebrated was how when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness, it's remembering and celebrating how God went before the people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Remember that? Read in your Old Testament. Read your Old Testament. Come on. And so God, in the Old Testament, for 40 years, God led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And to recall this in that ceremony, what would happen, The pre, just like they had the ceremony for the water, they also had a ceremony for this. It would happen in the, in the evening, at night. And the priests would light four, in the courtyard, the priests would, would light four huge candelabras. And those four huge candelabras, each of, them, each of them had four different lamps on them. Huge lamps. So 16 huge lamps all in total. And they would, they would light all 16 of those huge lamps and it would illuminate the whole temple. It would illuminate the whole courtyard of the temple. Some even say it could, it could have eliminated, illum, illuminated a whole section of Jerusalem. It was, I mean, it had to have been something incredible to see. It, it, it was, I mean, it, it, especially in that day when there was no electricity, there was no, you know, there was nothing flashy ever in their lives to go see something so majestic, especially, especially as you're remembering how God, I mean, the, the temple itself was a majestic place and, the, and, and these, these lights and remembering this, this is a, a visual representation, an overwhelming one, that God led us by a pillar of fire at night in the wilderness. They led our fathers. He led our fathers. And it's probably on this last night of the feast, just like he said on the last night about the water, when the, when the light from those lamps are, are, are shining and lighting up the night sky in the temple, that Jesus stands up and he says, I'm the light of the world. <laughs> I mean, what is he is saying? 
I was that pillar. I was the pillar of cloud. I was the pillar of fire that led the people. I was there. I was the one leading your fathers. And, and I'm, not just, I'm not just these lights that light up the temple. I'm the light of the world. If you're paying attention, you're starting to see a pattern in this neighborhood of John. In chapters 6, 7, and 8, Jesus is, is giving us a series of images from the wilderness era, the wanderings of, of Israel, claiming that He was those things that they were pointing forward to. In chapter 6, He was the manna from heaven. In chapter 7, He was the water from the rock. In chapter 8, he is the pillar of cloud and fire that led the people. But what was Jesus actually saying when he said, I was the pillar of cloud, I was the pillar of fire? Because somebody could have said, well, maybe he's just saying he's an angel or something like that. No, he's claiming to be God again. Because if, you, if you're a careful reader of the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament itself, look how the Old Testament itself describes the pillar of cloud and fire. For example, in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, we read, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by, the night, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them the light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So when the, that verse right there says when the, the pillar of cloud and fire went before the people, it says it was the Lord going before them. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. So no wonder John was sort of astonished and felt compelled to mention that amazingly when Jesus said this, they didn't arrest him. I mean, in the verses that, that follow... The Jewish leaders argue with him, uh, back in chapter 8, they, they, they argue with him whether or not he has authority to say things like that. And by the end of the chapter, they'd be fed up with it and try to stone him to death for blasphemy. But knowing that that's the background to him standing up and saying, I'm the light of the world. Let me just say a quick word about the significance of it. Knowing that Jesus was claiming himself to be God, that... That's the question of the imagery. I was that pillar. I was the pillar of fire. I was the pillar of cloud that your fathers followed in the wilderness. So the question now is, are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to follow me? I mean, that's what he's saying in the temple that day. Your fathers followed the pillar. I was the pillar. Are you going to follow me? Hence he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Will have the light of life. He's already given the answer back in chapter 3 to Nicodemus. That people by nature love the darkness rather than the light. And Jesus seems to reinforce, reinforce that, that truth. That, 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 yes, He is the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. 
will people, will they, of their own nature, follow him? And the, the, the answer to that question seems, and Jesus already said, probably not, because people love the darkness rather than the light. That seems to be reinforced in chapter 9 when he says that when he says for a second time, I'm the light of the world. Let's remember the story of chapter 9. There was a man there who was blind from birth, who was a beggar, there by the pool of Siloam. This man sat among the beggars that, that the Gospels tell us were there. And Jesus walks up to him. What was he thinking? Jesus walks up to him and he spits on the ground, makes mud, dirty spit, <laughs> and he puts it on the man's eyes. Uh, and, and, and he washes it off and pulls Siloam and he comes up seeing. And in that, it's in that action, that episode, Man totally blind. Man totally blind. And he's, he's there with the other beggars. He's probably asking for necessities of life, but he's not asking to see. He probably thinks that's not even possible. Does, you know, he's just been blind from birth. And Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts on his eyes, wash it off, and you can see. It's in that action, that miracle of causing a blind man to see that he says for a second time, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Why in this episode, why in the action of giving a blind man sight? Why a blind man? Why not make a lame man walk? I'm the light of the world. Why a blind man seeing? Because he is saying, not only is he light in the in the general sense that he was the pillar of cloud and fire and, 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 and uh, that he, yeah, that he's come to save people, like they came to save people in the wilderness. He's also saying that in this episode of, of blindness, he's saying what Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Keep them from seeing what? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. To keep them from seeing the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. And so to save us, he not only has um, to shine in the world, which he, he has, he also has to shine in our hearts. We're blind. He has to give us sight. Otherwise, we don't see. But to those who do see his light, they follow him, just like we saw in uh, Exodus 13, 22. God reciprocates. He says, the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So Jesus never leaves or forsakes those who come to him. Jesus is the light of the world. I want to I want to spend some time in prayer tonight. Um, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, don't pray out loud. 
what I want you, how do I want to guide our prayer time tonight? By the way, I want us to tonight uh, break up guys and girls. And guys, you pray together. Girls, you pray together. Um, what do you, what, how do you pray reflecting on the fact that Jesus is the light of the world? And he doesn't just stand and say generally to all the people in their hearing, I'm the light of the world. But he also goes to the poorest little beggar who's blind and gives him sight and he says, I'm the light of the world. What do you do with that? How do you pray out of that? Well, you thank him in your prayer. You thank him that he was not only shining as the light of the world in the, in the big sense of living an obedient life in your place and dying, dying a substitutionary death in your place for your sins and, and his general light that you, you have grown up in a place where you have heard the gospel. You know? Big general grace. But you, and you thank him for that. But you thank him for also like that poor little blind beggar you thank him for shining in your heart and you you for the first time saw jesus for who he is and you came to him in faith and repentance the reason i want us to i want to break up guys and girls though because i don't want our prayer time to just be dominated by thanksgiving though it wouldn't be a bad expenditure of your time but when we come to the light, we come to Christ who is the light, the light of the world, he therefore says, now you are the light of the world. And you walk in the light. And what does it look like to walk in the light? Well, 1 John 1 says one way it looks to walk in the light. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice what happens. We have fellowship with one with the other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What does that imply walking in the light looks like? It, it means walking in the light would be confessing your sins so that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all. In fact, that's what it goes on to say. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's walking in the light with one another. We are honest about our... We saw all we did all last semester in cross-culture. We're, we're just real with each other. We confess our sins. And we all should be of that heart posture. So that, so that as I, if I humble myself and I confess my sins to you, I can trust you to hear it. And you can trust me to hear you. And if I'm honest with you and you are honest with me, Scripture says we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's walking in the light.
So, I want you all to spend a few minutes praying together in light of these truths. Thank Him for shining in the world as, as the light of the world, generally speaking, for living and dying for your sins, for graciously causing you to live in a place where you've heard the gospel, but also more specifically for being the light of the world to you like He was for that blind man causing you to see. And now we walk in the light by confessing our shortcomings, our struggles, and our sins to one another, trusting that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of that. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer, guys with guys and girls with girls.